0: The church has lost influence in our culture is because we have not really been honest about a lot of things. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that're we're, we're loo- we're we're lo- excuse me, we're losing ground in the culture because they're all getting worse. actually, I don't think our culture is really worse than it was 100 years ago. Some things are worse, some things are better. I don't think people are more sinners today than they were 100 years ago. But I think one of the reasons that the church has lost influence is because non-Christians, people outside of the church, have looked at us and seen, seen how we have failed to tell the truth. They see us pretending to be one thing on Sunday, knowing that we're something else. The rest of the week they see us covering up our scandals and really pretending that we don't have any problems and they think that's not reality why would I go to church and pretend to not live in reality in fact a lot of the non Christians I know are a lot more honest about their lives than a lot of Christians that I know. One of the things that we look for in leaders in the church is this quality of a truth teller. And here's why. Obviously, it's a virtue, but we can deal with any sin. And leaders in the church need to be the lead Repenters, the chief repenters, and we can deal with any sin. You come and tell me that you uh, have sinned against your wife. You come and tell me that you hate this person. You know, you can tell me all these things, and we will work on it. We we will love you. We will try to love you through get you counseling and take steps with you. We can deal with any sin but we can't really deal with lying. Because lying, someone who perpetually lies, we never know where we stand with them. We never really know if the repentance is real. So let's ask maybe the deeper question, the harder question. Why? Why is it so hard for Christians? Why is it so hard for us to be truth-tellers? Why do we work so hard to cover our sins? And I think it's because we're, we're no different from anyone else, right? Our, our need, our desire to be loved, we have such a pathological need to be loved. And we are afraid that if we are truthful about who we are, that people will not love us. And we have too often set up a culture in the church where real sin gets a silent treatment and a shame. And that, brothers and sisters of Trinity, that's where Christian community needs to be different. We need to create a culture, an atmosphere where people can be honest and still be loved. Where we are not shocked by people's sin and we're not afraid to share our own sin and that's where the gospel makes all of the difference doesn't it because the gospel tells us that god knows us god knows everything that we've done in fact he knows it better than we do he knows the sin underneath the sin he sees the dirtiest parts of us and yet He loves us, yet He accepts us, infinitely accepts us. That ought to make all the difference and free us as we come to know and trust a loving and holy God, we'd be free to love and and speak the truth. Now, of course, radical (laughs) truth-telling... does not mean that we go around saying everything that comes into our minds, right? Oh, that is an awful outfit, <laughs> right? It doesn't give us a license to just say everything we think, right? I think the Bible qualifies truth-telling with this idea, speak the truth, what? You know the rest. In love, right? Speak the truth in love. And so that means taking the other person's feelings, their their needs into account when you speak with them. The second implication of the ninth commandment is this, that Christians not only should be radical truth-tellers, but also should work hard to protect the reputation of others. Again, in the courtroom, uh, the testimony of one witness can mean the difference between someone being set free and someone getting a terrible penalty even the death penalty when i was in seminary my wife and i lived outside of charlotte north carolina in a little little town called clover and probably almost 20 years before we had lived there there was a famous murder uh, an 82 year old woman was murdered in her own home and the story made it on to 60 minutes and uh, a couple nights after that murder took place, a woman called the police anonymously and said, Sterling Spawn killed that woman. Sterling Spawn, having no money for a good lawyer, and with the South Carolina justice system tilted against him, spent 18 years on death row until investigators took up the case again, and realized that he did not do it. Reputation is quickly stolen, but not quickly restored. Let me ask you this question. How much do you care about your own reputation? How much do you love your reputation, and how people see you? When I was in college, I had this friend named Michael. Michael. And whenever Michael would see me, he would do this. Dorscht. Whenever he'd see me. And my face, would I know, would lit up when he'd say that. Because what did I hear, right? You're the man. Dorscht. Now, I don't even know if that's what he was doing. He might very well have just been saying, you know, look at me. I'm the nickname guy, right? But I took that, and I loved it. And I realized how much I want people to think like that when they see me or that my name is mentioned. I was, this past week, I was at General Assembly, which is our denomination's a yearly gathering. And the great, one of the great things about it is you get to see people that you haven't seen for a few years. And actually, I saw two guys that I had not seen since, I graduated seminary, which was 16 years ago. And so as, you know, we're talking, and it's I realized how much I am, you know, shifting the narrative of my ministry since seminary to all of the, the things that reflect well on me. Right? Not the things that might cause them to go, oh, you're yeah, not the best pastor in the world. right? I want them to look at me, door! How much do we care about our own reputations? That's how much we need to care about other people's reputations. That's what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so when I go to our Monday pastors lunch, I shouldn't just be thinking about how they're thinking about me, but I should be thinking, old man, bourbon. And when I come here and you say, It's Ron, right? Just met him right before the service. (laughs) Brad Moses! And we need to love other people's names and their reputations and work to protect them. Even when other people are talking about them. Right? This is is why the sin of gossip is so insidious and, and I think really in view in this commandment. Right, because gossip is so damaging and because it ruins a reputation when uh, typically there's no evidence given. Right? And it usually has little regard for what is true and who gets harmed. And, and the gossiper is much more concerned to be seen as, I'm in the know. I'm the good guy. They're the bad guy. All right, let's address very quickly an ethical complication here and that is and this so often comes up when we talk about the ninth commandment what do we do how much do we need to tell the truth in life or death situations right so the classic scenario it's 1938 you're living in uh france or poland or holland and you know where some jews are hiding out and the nazis come and ask do you have to tell them the truth do you have to tell them where they are there's a similar episode at the beginning of the book of exodus right where the jewish people are living in egypt as basically slaves and the king of egypt the pharaoh becomes very concerned that the the hebrews the the israelites they're they're multiplying greatly and so he summons the hebrew midwives right and he says when you When you go and you attend a birth, if the baby comes out and you can tell it's a boy, you have to kill it. But the Hebrew midwives wouldn't do that. They recognized a law higher than the Pharaoh's law. They recognized God's law. But not only did they just disobey, that's one thing, but when Pharaoh called them back to account for their actions, instead of saying, no, we didn't do it, you know, What did they say? They said they made up a story. Oh, these Hebrew women, they're so vigorous, they give birth before we even get there. And Pharaoh, being a typical clueless male, he believes him. And the text says that God blessed them for it. God blessed them for what they did. Now, This is a tough ethical issue, right? There are good people on both sides of this. I'm not even sure if I know the right answer. Because on the one side, uh, some would say it's never okay to misrepresent the truth even if we're trying to protect others. Like one theologian, he says, the lie of necessity carries with it the presupposition that God always wants us to remain safe. And so proponents would say making room for lies Tends to become a slippery slope and make a habit of lying. Uh, Others would say, though, that when someone is at war with you or is trying to harm you or innocent people, that they are no longer your neighbor. And so you do not owe them the truth. And in that situation, protecting innocence is obedience to the sixth commandment do not murder, and to protect others' lives. And therefore takes priority. Again, I'm not exactly sure. But I do know that at the end of the day, even with possible exceptions, we should tend towards telling the truth no matter the consequences. We see Jesus doing this, don't we? When Jesus was on trial, it was a life or death situation. and The Bible says this, About that, he says, Christ committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I love that last phrase. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to God the Father's care. I know whatever happens, God the Father will be there. I am in his care. Do we do do that? Do we entrust ourselves to God's care? Or do we rely on our own ability to survive? We can rationalize lying all day, but I heard it said... There is a day when rationalizations all come to light, and that is judgment day. Do you know what the judgment for lying is? The Bible says it's pretty severe. This is what it says in Revelation 21. It says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. And then, it doesn't just say that in chapter 21, in Revelation 22, Jesus says, blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, they may enter the city by the gates. He's talking about the city of the new heavens, the new earth. But then he says, outside are the dogs and sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now that seems pretty harsh. Liars go to hell. Liars get shut out of heaven. But that's how strongly God feels about the truth. God, lying is not just doing what you need to do to get a leg up. Lying is going against the very nature of God. The very essence of who He is. It is saying to God that, God, your reality is not good enough for me, so I'm going to create a different reality, either for me to live in or for other people to see me in. And in one sense, truth-telling is Submitting ourselves to reality, which is God's reality. And bearing false witness against our neighbor is an offense against our neighbor, but it is first and foremost an offense against God. It is cosmic treason against the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. So there's the question How do we escape the coming judgment? Because we all lie. We all have shaded the truth to our advantage. We could all be call, called liars, as Revelation says. But when Jesus went on trial, it wasn't just for his own life. He went on trial for you and for me, and for liars And murderers and adulterers everywhere. False witnesses were used to convict Jesus of crimes that he didn't commit. And yet, the deeper reality of what was happening in the death of Jesus was that God the Father was convicting him. God the Father was putting, laying on him all of our sins. Laying on him the identity of Sinners, liars, murderers. And by dying, Jesus took the penalty of his people on himself and he buried it in the ground. He took our sin away. And now, when you come to know Jesus, you are no longer considered by your sin. You are given a new identity. Right? Jesus says those who wash their robes will enter into the heavenly city. How do we do that? We wash our robes. What that means is our robes, our, it's a metaphor, right? Our, our nature is full of sin. It's filthy. It's dirty. But the blood of Jesus and the water of his word and of our baptism washes it away. And now we are given a new identity, a new name. Right? I'm no longer dorscht. Whether that's good or bad in people's minds, I don't know. And I don't have to care. Right? Because my new identity is child of God. And when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And he is working in us. To tell the truth. Jesus, see, Jesus' story doesn't stop at the cross, right? It goes on to the empty tomb. When Jesus rose from the grave, it was really a signal of a new world where now the truth can be told all the time because we don't have to fear death anymore. And if we don't have to fear death, we don't have to fear anything. We don't have to fear people's opinions and judgments of us. Can you imagine a new world where there's no more lying, where, where no one even shades the truth against us, where no one will ever try to ruin your reputation? That's, that's where we're headed. But what if we as the church began to live like that? What if we cared more about telling the truth than we cared about looking good? in front of each other? What, what if we cared more about God's reputation than our own? We, and we can, right? Because we've been given a new identity, a new name. We don't have to protect our old one. Do you want to hear the rest of the story of Mark Kaysen? The The day of the jury selection for his trial... The courtroom was packed. This was a, a national story. Everyone wanted to see a, a spectacular trial of the the soldier turned murderer. But when Mark Gason stood up and he changed his plea from not guilty to guilty, the trial was effectively over. There was no more need for jury. And then something amazing happened. The district attorney, moved by Mark's honesty, dropped three of the four charges. He was still given a life prison uh, sentence, but he was given the possibility of parole. And after 15 years in prison, he was released. And he now serves as the director of prison ministries for our denomination. And I met him at a lunch Wednesday. And he told me a story. And it was so fascinating that he delighted in telling me his story and not covering up any of the sordid of details. Not because I think he didn't care what I thought about his former life. He was much more interested in giving praise to God for his grace. Now, I can't guarantee you if, you, if you tell the truth, that something amazing will happen, you'll always get out of painful circumstances. I can't guarantee you that. But I can't guarantee you, if you will come to know the love of Jesus, know how he thinks of you, and practice truth-telling in everything you do. Listen, I'm learning to do that, Right? All my life I've been someone who's run from conflict and I will shave the truth, I will hide the truth to get out of conflict. I'm learning, I'm trying to learn how to do that. I know as we do that, we, God will grow us to be more and more like him. Let's pray. Father, we, we know that you are all-knowing. You know everything about us. And your word pierces us like a two-edged sword. Father, we also know and thank you that you've loved us in spite of ourselves. That you've freely set your affections upon us. And called us your children. Help us to love your opinion of us more than the opinion of others. Help us to love the truth more than money, more than fame, more than a good reputation. Father, help us to esteem your work in Jesus. That Our, our lives, our families, and our communities might be changed that the world might look at us and say we may not understand them but at least they're real and they may be drawn to our to the reality of who you are we might give praise their father who's in heaven praise the name of the father son and the holy spirit amen Amen. Before we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, we have the great privilege